Blog Talk Radio. that time again, everyone. We took a couple of days off. 7.09, yeah, I know, we're running late. So, sue us. <laughs> this is live radio, and you get it when you get it. So, this is, uh, this is, of course, our, our episode today is the next space show with Alan Joe. And I am Joe. And, of course, I'm the one with the attitude. So, are we, uh, are we ready? Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing my interest up, and, and he's trying to get me all the wonderful things we're going to be talking about today on our space show. Of course, i got to show how to get in the leave room to be able to do that. It's been an interesting weekend, and of course, you know, like everything, we've got so many things to talk about, but we also had so many things that came up this weekend. Um, well, you know, Don was out seeing his girls in Utah, so he's gone all this weekend. Uh, Sabotan, or Sabotan, or however they want to say it. Uh, convention is 2014 is uh, this weekend, and I want to say... Hey, hey to uh, Kip from Kip's World out there. Hey, Kip. And also want to say hi to uh, Rudy Comics. And I also want to say hi to our good friend, Krista Crawford, 
and her wonderful husband who uh, helps a lot of a lot of the artists in the area with their posters and things. Uh, their beautiful works that they've they've got out there at the conventions, the anime conventions. So, you know, you guys like Sailor Moon and 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 all those you know really cool animated characters out there. Then, um, or the fur, or you're, if you're into furries, then hey, that's a place to be this weekend. <laughs> Tomorrow's Labor Day. Just what does that mean, Labor Day? You know, somebody said, hey, you know, I, he's, he's saying, I get tomorrow off. I was Labor Day. And I look at him like, how nice for you. <laughs> I don't remember what Labor Day is because we work every day. And so Labor Day doesn't really mean anything to me. I also want to say hi to the amazing Houston Comic Con in Houston. Yes, I know it's Texas, but you know, this is a international radio show. So we say hi to everybody. We don't care who they are and where they are. Come on, this stupid thing. Let's move this over. Does anybody understand Google at all with all those things that they try to do on this crazy thing? And actually, oh, of course, we had a new issue coming out next week again of the WAD. Wad is our newspaper. We also have it on webzine. Uh, the website is http slash slash www dot the wad as w as t h e like the w o d wad dot net. That's the wad dot net. Uh, we got uh, some some things that happened this weekend, um, and of course something that happened on. Thursday, is it Thursday? No, the Wednesday. No, Thursday. You're right. Uh, we had a coalition, and for comics, it's Wake Up and Draw Day, and that's international. We've got that article up on the wad.net, so that way you guys can find out about it. It's going to be a, you know a yearly thing. And apparently he's been around for a little while. So anyway, the Wake Up and Draw was on Thursday. And that was at uh, Samurai Comics on Camelback. Hey, guys. So I can tell that he's a bunch of, you know, you find it funny. Uh, sent Song River, our photographer out there. And, of course, she's like the only woman among all these men. <laughs> it's not the way of comic books. Yeah, all these men who really love comics or they're drawing comics, you know, you know uh, and then you got, you know, your geek women who get like at these things too, you know, and yet, you know, there's, there were no women there then. So anyway, she got there early and uh, was able to uh, talk to these guys, Eric Mengel, Jeff Pena. Hey, Jeff. Ruben Rosas. Hey, I didn't see Ruben there. Is that Ruben? Yeah. Another Ruben. And Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Tony Parker. Ryan Cody. Uh, Ryan Cleveland. Uh, logistic Guru. Benjamin Glendening. 
so it's replaced the comic book artist with comic book artist Benjamin Glenn Deming, Deming and Edward Harris, among logistics guru. I didn't know there was a logistics guru, but uh, apparently Ryan Clavin is a logistics guru. And numerous other art, uh, artists, of course, we love artists. They're our second favorite people in the world next to authors. No offense, guys. But I'm an author, so of course I love authors. So I'm going to give you guys the, the link to that so that we can find more about this, you know, uh, Hero Initiative Wake Up and Draw Day. I bet most of you didn't even know there was a Wake Up and Draw Day. So I didn't know before uh, the other day either. <laughs> so if you find things, you find out when you become a managing editor of a newspaper that has to do with pop culture. you got to know all these things. So this is KWOD Radio. And, of course, you forget to, it's going to be live, so that means you guys can actually call in. But please, please, make it pertinent to the subject, because we're talking about space separation. We're talking about, you know, selling space. We're talking about selling space. And so, really, you, you know, don't call us about horoscopes. Don't call us about, you know, uh, right. Don't call us about, you know, politics, because, honestly, it really has no real bearing on, uh, the space news and settling space, okay? So, uh, religion. You know, we love religion, but this is not the place for it. It's uh, That's not our platform. While we may have opinions, again, this is not the place to really discuss uh, your religious views. Uh, we're here to talk about settling space. I know it's a concept, but that's why we call it a space show. <laughs> The next space show, I don't know, have any reason, don't know why anybody would want to call and talk about religion, but um, not when it's the next space show. So be sure to, uh, you know, keep it pertinent, okay, guys? Uh, we want to have fun, we want to talk, we want to uh, inform, we want to uh, offer you the news, but we also got to stay on topic. Got a lot of things to get through, and we're getting started late, so we apologize for that. And so the phone number, Collins, I know I've been uh, just making you wait with anticipation for the phone number. The guest call number is 714-242-5145. It's up at the top of the information. And we're so happy to have you guys here again. This is this next space show. And I am... I am Joe. I know I don't look like one, but it's J-O. It's not J-O-E. And I'm Al. He's Welcome Al. to the show. Are you about ready? Yeah, I'm ready as I'm going to be. There you go. So, anyway, remember the number, 714-242-5145. And we're on live, so keep it clean, people. I know I don't, but they should. Ah, you're clean enough. You had a shower last month. I had one morning. I should that should be okay. So, um, we need to get some, some information up here and Okay, get to the link, girl. Come on. I gotta find your your page here. Yeah, I had to fix the list the this morning. What list? This is this one? Yeah. You had a again? bogus chapter doing some nasty stuff in the background. Not my bogus chapter. Yeah, it was yours. It had it your was, name on it. 
What? Yeah. Only yours. I haven't put anything in since, well, for a couple of days. You mean to tell me you've been sitting like that for all the time? Probably. <laughs> well, in that case, for those of you who are on Weavers of Greens, we apologize. Uh, I'm blanking here. I don't know what we see. Do a search for next space, and you'll find it. Got it. See, isn't that? Isn't that I know. Nice? I'm confused because so powerful. It's, it's, I, know. I hit chapters. Yeah. I know you're, how to get there from there. Forgetting how to use this. No, thing. it's up here. See, depends on what browser it is. You know, people. Hmm. Okay, so we're. Um, Are you using that other browser? Yeah. Which one are you using? That's Google. That's Google's Chrome thing? Yeah. Yeah. I know, but I'm having problems with the other one. So. Oh, alright. Alright. Okay. First on the list today. <laughs> First on the list each week, we talk about NASA. Not because I have any favoritism towards NASA, in fact, quite the opposite. Um, those of you who. Those of you who have listened to our show before or talked to me in, in person or in private uh, know that there is no love lost uh, from me towards NASA. We have had a wonder, they have had a wonderful run up until now. They spent a boatload of our taxpayer money. Um, and in my mind, while we have some wonderful photos, we've learned a lot about the universe and our solar system. Um, yeah, part of the whole point was going to space was going to stay. Getting people up there on a regular basis. Um, and I understand that it, yeah, and I, and I understand it takes time to learn these things, but i got to tell you, you know, in our day of technology, uh, we can't compare to the last three of the last major migrations. You look at the pilgrims, you look at the guys that went west in wagons, and you look at those that ended up in prison out of Botany Bay or whatever it was called over in Australia. You know, they just went. They, you, you took with what you had. They just went. They just went. Dropped the drawers, found a bush, and went. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> just, just get it done. Yeah, and and I, and I think that's that's what uh, that's the failing the, the the pit that NASA has found itself falling into. However. It doesn't mean that they're still not doing great work. Well, one case in point, our first story up this week, um, NASA uh, launched a test from Wallops Island's facility, and they're reviewing the data from a rocket launch that tested a new sub-payload deployment method Now, for suborbital rockets. Now, currently, most of these are, are, are single payload launches, or you have to launch each payload very specifically from your rocket and each system is essentially uh, a new system because you're having to completely reinvent the wheel, make adjustments, whatever the case may be. But what NASA is testing is a development method that uses small rocket motors to eject sub-payloads from a rocket's main payload. Now, um, their test included releasing vapor traces in space so they could follow the, each, each of the sub-payload components. It's promising tech because as we start to see more and more satellites being launched, not as singles, but more like the constellations 
that we've seen in the past few weeks that uh, SpaceX has launched, as well as NASA, as Ariane, a lot more satellites are going up as constellations, several different satellites all going up in one package. This is a real important technology that we'll be taking, be seeing grow as time moves forward. That's the one from ABC News, everyone, so know which one to put. Now, uh, our next item on the list, we go from hard tech to fashion tech. Yeah, I don't like that. I'm sorry to talk about this. <laughs> Back in 2009, two originally competing designers teamed up to build a space suit glove to enter a NASA competition. Now, they built the club. Now, after they took second prize and they won $100,000 for their creation, the two decided to go into business. Now, today, they're partners at Final Frontier Design. Uh-oh, got to sneeze. <coughs> oh, there we go. Keep it, it real, keep it real. Keep it real. Oh, that one hurts. Man, my shoulder. Anyway. Yeah. So they started this company, Final Frontier Design. They're now on their third version of their spacesuit after building the first one in 2010. They're making incremental improvements, as any business ought to, as it, as it moves forward. And one day, the team hopes to sell its suits to commercial companies hoping to launch private astronauts. Now... In addition to just the art, the link here on this particular article, uh, while I was doing my search, I picked up a couple of more links. Now, the second link is uh, more photos, uh, a small gallery of their suit in action, guys actually going through testing. The next link Jack is Jack Webb's space activity suit. Now, this is where, um, and we've talked about this one before, space activity suit is not a true spacesuit in the sense that it pressurizes the air around your body inside the suit. Space activity suit, read the, info, read the article, you'll get a whole new appreciation for the challenges that people have in dealing with human bodies against the vacuum of space. Now, and then of course the fourth link here is what happens to your body in space. You've got to read this one. Things aren't quite as bad as we used to think. You don't just kind of explode with your eyeballs feeling all over the faceplate uh, like they showed in, what was that movie, Sean, that Sean Connery film no. with Outlander. Outlander. Yeah, Outlander. That's, I that's, remember that one, but I do yeah. remember Total Recall. Where oh, Total Recall was another one. In Mars. Oh, yeah. Eyes started. Eyes bugging out, body swelling up. That's yeah. sitting there. You gotta love Hollywood for all the effects they throw in to just yeah, really make you sick. Making Arnie look like a bug. I don't know. Oh yeah. Here, you know, you know. I remember my first impression of that film and that particular scene where he's on the side of the mountain, sitting there gasping for air, oh, yeah. swelling up like a a big bug. And I remembered an old Twilight Zone episode with a bug critter that was basically a man who'd been exposed to high levels of radiation and had mutated into, into this big bug-eyed critter that was coming after the pretty girl as, as was one in those days. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, guys, take a look at the, all, all four references here. Um, and as we get better at this, we'll start having multiple references for the news items. 
because you know you don't always want to check just the one reference that you find. You want to look at some of the related news and, and get a better picture, a more rounded view of what people are talking about these days. Because I got to tell you, you get one view and it's never right. There's always something a little bit off about them. So you want to get a more rounded view by checking multiple sources. And we're going to start trying to, to do that a little bit more often. Now this next one comes in, for many of you NASA uh, stalwarts who really uh, like the way that NASA's doing it, spending all your hard-earned tax dollars. And, and uh, I, I really got to wonder why it takes four years to, to get something done, you know? Uh, but, I could tell you about it. Well, I'm like sure that. you could. Uh, Battle of the Heavyweights Rocket is, is a link to an article that talks about the SLS system, NASA's Space Launch System, which actually is an extension of the old Constellation system. Mm. All right. They actually borrowed some of the pieces from that. It's an evolutionary move. With the recent announcement, the SLS has become challenged by her schedule. The NASA rocket may soon find herself in a battle with a commercial alternative, and here they're talking about SpaceX's super powerful exploration class or the Falcon Super Heavy. Now, the uh, SpaceX's unit is targeting Mars up to 10 years ahead of the SLS, although both continue to avoid being classed as competitors. And, uh, read the article. You'll find there's a lot of stuff that Elon talks about. There's some stuff that some NASA reps talk about. And it's, it's really a, a, an eye-opening piece of work. Now, in addition, NASA, just this past week, I believe, completed their key review of the SLS system. And last Wednesday announced they um, are approving it for the next progression in its program development. Now. No other exploration class vehicle has achieved since the agency built the space shuttle. Well, the shuttle's 30 years old. So it's been, basically, it almost makes it sound like it's 30 years in the making. But I don't know, honestly, I don't know that NASA even tried to build another exploration class vessel when they started the well, shuttle. Well, not that we know of. Yeah. So I, I think the SLS was... Show entirely. Well, Castellation was in the wings. But... You know, def definitely something to uh, to take a look at. NASA, again, on the SLS, NASA sets a 2018 launch date for the rocket that eventually will take us to Mars. Now, that launch date is for the basically the first launch test. That's not a launch date to go into space and go do something and get to Mars. No, that's last I heard... Yeah, that would, that would be too easy. Uh, and we've got two or three different links here for that one. Or no, I'm sorry. We have a video link here that takes us, actually gives us our, our uh, segue into international and uh, independent space news. Who's going to build NASA's next generation spacecraft? We all know that SpaceX, Boeing CST-100, and the... Um, okay, senior moment. Sierra Nevada Corporation is building their craft, all three of which are competing for the dollars to become NASA's prime contractor 
for astronaut taxi service to the ISS. It's a video, so be prepared to let it get started if your broadband isn't quite as good as uh, NASA's. <laughs> In international news, um, the European Rover Challenger, ERC, is an international competition organized by Mars Society Polska in cooperation with the Austrian Space Forum, Regional Science Technology Center in Chechny, and the Marshall Office of the Schweizer Ski Vivodeship Institutions of Higher... <laughs> and I don't even think I said it right. Institutions of higher education can field teams of students, graduates, and faculty to enter the contest. Their challenge is to design, construct, and operate a rover that will most that will most successfully complete a number of Mars exploration themed tasks designed by the organizers. You know, this, this is this is a higher level competition than what we actually did at a competition a couple of years back with our local rovers. We actually built a couple of rovers. You ought to check out the WADS website. I think we've got those videos up on online, hopefully. Um, back in Leprechaun, what was that? Uh, about two, three years ago, wasn't it? I think it lost that was a Moon Society thing. Yeah, it was a Moon Society thing, but it was held at our Leprechaun convention. I don't even have yeah, yeah, I do. It's not on the log. All right, we'll have to get it up there. Yeah. But basically, what we did was was a much simpler challenge. Uh, we actually built the rovers. We put um, uh, audio, video recording, broadcasting equipment on it. Three years ago. Three years ago, we had uh, visitors attempt to negotiate that rover on a mock uh, lunar Martian type surface. Yeah. Now, the catch was they couldn't watch the rover. Right. They had to watch the video feed on a monitor. It proved very popular uh, and fairly challenging to those who tried it. Uh, we're hoping to, uh, we may have some news on that project here in a few weeks. Keep uh, keep abreast of what we're doing. But check out the European Rover Challenge. Um, also, for you Star Trek fans, Firefly fans, Serenity fans, for all you outer space travel fans who love sci-fi. Pretty much everybody in the world, I think. Yeah, I think so. Well, not we, everybody. We, we, we care the Amish don't give a rap. Whatever. They don't seem to care. Well, no. They like staying close to the dirt. Yeah. Um, physicists that. are manipulating waves to make a tractor beam. Now, okay, it's a great headline. But what it really means is that they're using water tanks. If any of you have ever seen a wave tank, these are relatively small. They use different types of uh, wave excuse me, wave generators to generate waves. They're studying the behavior of the waves how they can use the waves to do different things. Now, what they've been able to do is manipulate the waves in the wave tank so that they can take, for example, a ball on the surface of the water. They can push the ball away. They can draw the ball towards the wave generator. They can move it from left to right. They can slow it down, speed it up. This is interesting because generally we think of waves as simply um, transiting in an outward circular pattern, moving farther away from us at all times. But when you start using wave interference patterns in waves, you start getting um, behaviors that allow you to actually control an object at a distance from you. Now, the downside is that we're not talking about doing this in space yet. 
but they are doing exciting things with this. And given when you you look at fluid dynamics, you look at wave behavior, um, there's no reason to think that if you can generate a certain type of a wave in space, sure, you can generate a tractor beam, which could be an interesting idea. Right now, they're thinking of more earthly pursuits, such as controlling um, oil spills, leading to a better understanding of how moving, moving water develops into rip currents. That would have helped yeah. Oh, yeah. Those, those two things. This is, this is some interesting tech. We included it here because, it again, that title prompts us to think about space travel and tractor beams in space and so forth. Now, here's another one, new tech uh, in the international community. Shields up, ready for Mars shot. Roberto Battison, professor of physics at the University of Trento in Italy, and his colleagues are developing a remedy that sounds like something from the Enterprise. Again, we're looking at science fiction for our model, but these guys are actually making progress. The link takes you to an article that talks about their space radiation superconductive shield. SR2S. And basically, it's a superconducting magnetic energy shield. Now, here's the difference between what we've seen before, especially in recent news, that talked about using a huge magnetic field around astronauts heading to Mars. The one that the, most of the magnetic fields we've seen before take a tremendous amount of energy to generate this field. What these guys are suggesting. And this, I hadn't seen this before, although I'd heard it mentioned that superconducting the coils would make a difference. I didn't realize how much it could. The article goes into some detail, but apparently once you superconduct the conductors, or once you supercool the conductors, and if you're in space, you're essentially supercooled. Well, of course. All right. Minus 200 and some odd degrees. Um, I think that's pretty super cool. Wow, wow, super um, once you get the field charged, theoretically they're saying it stays charged. So you don't need the big electrical boost to fire the thing. For those of you who remember, um, was it in Star Trek, I think it was Enterprise, and in the early episodes of, um, well actually in all the episodes of Star Trek and Next Gen and Voyage yeah. All the Rush, you had this phrase, shields up. And when you get into the nitty-gritty of talking about those shields, there was a time frame that it took for the shields yeah. to charge up to be usable. And it, it, again, it, it's, 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 it's science. Automatic. They, yeah. they, it's kind of like, you know, people You've think build it up. Is automatic. But yeah. It's not. No. It, well, shoot, even emails these days are taking time. Well, it's Scary thought that. It's got to bounce all over the place. Uh -huh. So, same thing with the, you know, the you know, so shields up. It does take a certain amount of time for that to happen. And the, and the thing of it is, again, we include this this week because this is a, it's a technology. It reminds us of science vision. It's an out, it is an out there kind of thing. Yeah. But it's, it's promising, and we will keep tabs on this to see how well it goes. Moving on to private space. Um, Sierra Nevada, Boeing. And even SpaceX, of all three been in the news for the last two weeks, as NASA ramps up for its final decision on who will be the primary provider for their uh, space taxi contract. Now, in, in addition this week, uh, actually I think it was last Thursday or Friday, um, 
SpaceX ended up delaying a Falcon 9 satellite launch uh, directly, almost within a day or so, right after their uh, Falcon 9 reusable blew up above their uh, launch pad in Texas. Now, since then, they've determined that apparently they had a faulty sensor in the system that was apparently causing fits and triggered the auto-destruct sequence, which, you know, when you think about, well, yeah, it's an oops, but the thing about it is, it was an oops that had already been planned for, in a, in a sense. The auto-destruct sequence fired because the rocket was in the air already. You Not because Khan was trying to take over your ship? No, this wasn't a con thing. More than likely, it was that little beetle from Wrath that they stuck in. Somebody stuck the beetle in there. Talk about bugs in the system, right? <laughs> the sensor had a problem. Too funny. Sensor had a problem. Sensor had a problem. So, but um, most of the news this week. We've got so there's there's some planetary things happening out there. You got some uh, shots getting ready to take off for those of you planetary folks. Uh, but most of the most of the news this this past week about manned spaceflight and manned spaceflight preparation has been mostly everybody watching and waiting for NASA to make their decision. And that'll probably be the big news next week when we come back on the air. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I've got I, I want to touch on something in our in our commentary section and so we're going to take a, a, a brief break here and give you all a chance to go get a drink go potty and come back to be able to listen chime in if you wish and uh, we're going to start our commentary after the break and station the phone number is 714-242-5145 you wish to talk to us you wish to you know I don't know stalk us I don't care so just come on out. It's KWOD Radio, and this is Scotty Holstrand, and we're going to take a brief break here for you guys. Go grab something to drink. We'll be right back.
I'm not going to say what we're talking about. We were talking about limp lettuce and stuff. So this is K-Rod Radio. And this is Patty Holstrand. And yes, this is the Alan Joe Show. We're talking about the next space. So um, we're talking about commentary. And we're going to commentary section. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, today, you know, one of the news items we talked about was the Battle of the Heavyweight Rockets. And... You know, Saturn was Saturn V was considered a heavy lift, pretty much the the big daddy of them all. Since um, we had the shuttle, which could be considered a heavy lift. I mean, it lifted entire modules for the space station, and the Soyuz is and the Angara are both considered reasonable heavy lift. Um, but you know, we talk about these days of using heavy lift to get us to Mars. Everybody seems to be of the opinion that you have to have a heavy lift rocket to send your people to Mars. And so the commentary this week is why? Alright? If you're going to do a Lewis and Clark, a Lewis and Clark expedition, or a Mars Inspiration expedition, where you're going to send two people whose job it is to go over to Mars, take a look around, and come back, then a heavy lift makes the most sense. But let me ask you. You're going to spend, I think the price tag is between 5 and $50 billion to build the rocket, build the components, pay for all the supplies, get it into orbit, get it onto Mars, and bring it home, it's going to take two years to come back home, and they may or may not have anything to show for it other than a bunch of pictures and 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 so forth. Now, we'll have extra knowledge about oh, Mars. Space rocks and we, we very well may have more space rocks and so forth, depending on the type of mission it is. And they're going to send between two and four people. But I got to, again, I, I got to ask the question, for $5 billion... Or $50 billion, for that matter. Why are we not following the model that the maritime business did? Basically, shipbuilders. The model that the railroads followed. The model that the airlines followed. And I let me, understand let, the railroad, but... Or not the railroad. Yeah, railroad, because... When they were building, they were moving out from wherever they were, and then they kept going. I don't understand what you mean by airlines. Well, think about this. When the airlines first started, did they build the biggest dadgum airplane they could build to yeah. send it to one destination and throw it away? That would be, yeah. No. Actually, that would be ludicrous. That would be ludicrous. It was ludicrous in the early 1900s to build one colossal airplane to explore the west coast and come back. We see, we seen by ships, we didn't dispose of them as soon as we used them. Exactly. You don't build something to throw it away. Now, that's just the first argument. But let's look at the economics of this. All right? Setting aside the idea of throwing it away. All right? Because... When you look at, let's take, for example, a Lewis and Clark expedition. Now, 
as I understand it, they were out for a couple of years. And in the course of that time, um, they carried as well as floated along in their canoe. Now, i got to tell you, two years in a canoe, you're going to have to patch, if not completely replace that canoe, over the course of that time. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, they didn't want to take something big and heavy and bulky. They only carried what they needed. They worked with low tech rather than the highest technology of the day. They lived off the land. Now, I'll agree. I'll be the first one to agree that we can't live off of space yet. We just don't have the replicator from Star Trek yet. That would be cool, though. Oh, that would be very cool. But it's also energy intensive. Yeah. It's very energy intensive because you've got to have mass to decompose into and then recompose it into new structures. So, but anyway, back to our discussion on these heavy lift rockets. And as and the point that I want to make is is when you're building a way to move large groups of people from one point to another, we have several examples. We got the shipbuilding, which started way back before the Phoenicians. I mean, people have been building canoes for, for thousands of years. But they didn't build a canoe, figure out how to build a small boat, and then build a gargantuan ship to go one, one place and come back. They didn't do that. They built progressively larger boats, or canoes, and then boats. And the idea was to extend their territory first. Wow. Yeah, it was a long trip, wasn't it? Well, yeah, they're... Yeah, they left from St. Louis and they, went west. They knew Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. Commissioned by Jefferson. Yeah. People don't realize Lewis and Clark was way old. Well, actually, I thought they were older than that, but apparently, again, the expedition was commissioned by President President. I think he was, what, our second or third president. Third, yeah. So shortly after Louisiana Purchase, which, of course, Louisiana was was considered to be half of our country right now. I mean, it was, it was cut in three portions. It was a third of it. It was yeah, a third of the country. Florida was still in Spanish territory, and so it was all of Texas. Yeah, well, most of it. Well, I guess that's Louisiana yeah, over like, there. Yeah, yeah That's Louisiana, Louisiana there. So all of this, all we had to do, Canada was all yep. and then we didn't even look at it. Right. But the point of the the point of the commentary tonight is that <laughs> I truly time. believe that based on historical precedents of the development of several markets, if NASA is working very hard to foster new space, to foster private companies to move into space, then we have to have a reason for them to build a business around space travel. If you're going to do that, you've got to have business operating in space. That means infrastructure, jobs, and above all, people executing those jobs. You don't need a freaking heavy lift rocket to do that. You just don't. It is so a five to, five to $50 billion boondoggle and even even NASA admits that it's that the mission for this rocket that they're building is is still somewhat undefined because this rocket is going to evolve even further. 
to my examples. We look at shipbuilding. Shipbuilding, yes, we have the city-sized ocean liners, but how long did those ocean liners take to get built? They didn't try to build an ocean liner to go through the Caribbean and around the world in the, the late 1800s. They built them to go to Europe and come back. They didn't have to be god-awful huge steel monstrosities like they are today that when they get stuck on a sandbar they tip over and drown half the people on board. As we've seen happen yeah, like, rather three or four times I recently. Um, so, and, and there's nothing wrong with building a big ship if you've got a market to support that ship making more than one launch. And right now, we do not have an economic reason to build the SLS. Even as we look at rail and how rail grew, railroads didn't build huge cars to carry god-awful huge things for a one-way trip to the West Coast. It was cheaper to send it by boat. And in our case, it's cheaper to send up pieces on smaller rockets. When we then look at the airline industry. The first one took 30 years ago. Yeah. There you go. 30 years ago, the first one. Now, when we look at air travel, even the largest aircraft, uh, that I know of, the C-5, and I think the Russians have one slightly bigger, it's a cargo craft for hauling big tanks or rocket shells. And it wasn't even built until there was a need. The C-5 wasn't built until there was a specific need to haul that much cargo all at once. And even then, it's a monstrosity to fly. You ever seen that thing land? Its wheels come in crooked. It lands sideways, almost. Oh, that's funky. Well, yeah, it's so big that it can come in sometimes totally, you know, as much as, you know, I saw one where I swear to you it looked like it was coming in 45 degrees from the runway. Oh. But its wheels were coming in dead on the runway. It was turning. in front of that thing. Oh. <laughs> Now, NASA's got the Super Guppy, which which carries huge loads, oftentimes uh, big, large, cylindrical objects that are used for rocket launches. But these things, again, it begs the question, why are we building a huge, god-awful ship that doesn't have an economic purpose at this time? Yes, it's important to um, execute more exploration, but here's the thing. Lewis and Clark wasn't a big deal. And when I say it wasn't a big deal, it was a big deal for the information they came back with. But it was a small expedition. I mean, yeah, they had a they had quite a few people with them. What was it, uh, 15 or 20 people? You got it open there. Well, Lewis and Clark were the only people, but they had... They had carriers. They had uh, one reason why Jefferson sent them there was to find out certain something about the water rates. They didn't did find out. Right. They wanted maps and they wanted the information. Yeah. Um, so uh, members, okay, and other members of the expedition 
um, to report their findings. It doesn't say how many went, though, does it? Okay. Oh, well. But the, the key here is I do not believe we need a heavy lift rocket today. We're not going to need one in a couple of years either. In this, I will actually uh, challenge Mr. Musk at SpaceX because I think, I think SpaceX's plan to be able to assemble a heavy lift ship, the Falcon Heavy, by using multiple cores is a great way to go. It's modular, it makes sense in business, and you can add cores as you need to get the lifting power that you desire or you have economic value for. But to build a single rocket whose sole purpose is to shoot a boatload of crap all the way to Mars, it's like some kid building a great big huge slingshot because he's PO'd at the guy down the street. Well, don't give him ideas. Well, there's that. We do have one of our own that. <laughs> Anybody wants to rent it, just, you know, don't tell them where to find it. Right. <laughs> so as we wind down this, this, this week, I leave you with this question. Why do we need a heavy lift or a super heavy lift when economically and from a business standpoint, it makes more sense in the short term to develop the marketplace that is Earth orbit to clean up the trash in the process, which is a great way to provide jobs for people in orbit. We have two problems to solve. One is how do we house people in orbit, which is partly accomplished with the Bigelow um, developments and uh, inflatable space abs, and also with the work that's been done to build the International Space Station. The second challenge that we face is how do we build a fuel depot up there so that we're not constantly delivering fuel up there with all of our rockets. Now, if you wanted a, an economical um, business purpose for a heavy lift rocket, it would be to lift large quantities of rocket fuel into orbit to a specific location as a fuel depot. And that would make sense. Yeah, would be. But I mean, only you got, if you're you going to use... gas station. Right. But even then, not the monster gargantuan thing that is the SLS. Because it's a one-shot deal for a million dollars or more. We can't, that's unsustainable. Even to orbit, it's unsustainable. Super heavy lift rockets are ahead of their time. We're not ready for them yet. We need an economic environment in Earth orbit that we can develop and begin getting people into space to build the infrastructure and then send people from those stations to, Earth, to the moon and then Mars. They didn't explore the Earth by sending a huge arc from Lebanon all the way to the New World. They explored and populated most of Africa, Asia, and Europe before they sent boats beyond the Atlantic Ocean very much. And they didn't send passengers until well into the 16th century. 
So we need to bide our time. We need to take a more measured, a more consistent, and a more long-term approach in our development of space systems that get us as a people into space instead of just a handful of explorers. Their time will come. But it's, we need to develop the infrastructure now. And with that, this is Al saying goodnight. This is Joe saying yo. <laughs> well, that's it for tonight, guys. We're just like zick forking us. We're done. This We're is another week. another week. So stay tuned. We're going to show up for next week. And uh, tell your friends. Tell your enemies. I don't care. <laughs> No, this is Skateboard Radio, and this is Patty Holstein signing out. You guys have a great week. Hey, we're going to be here. Uh, we're going to live uh, music show for the Hague Girls on Wednesday. Remember, we had the bit issue with the water issue at our venue, so we are definitely going to be live um, there next Wednesday. That will be at the Ice House in uh off of Thomas Road in Phoenix. So come on out and see David V with the Squid Dog and Friends. Looking forward to this one because if for, any, for those of you who got to hear some of his, his awesome work and awesome uh, tunes out there at Leprechaun. He was there on May 8th at Leprechaun. And... Uh, entertained us and I'm really looking forward to hearing some of his tunes again and maybe even some more and talking to him live. So, you know, you guys coming out, we'll have some fun. Also on Thursday will be my first show back for the fall. Uh, we will be talking to our good friend, Dina Reno, who has a brand new book coming out on September 8th. So we'll be talking about her new book and uh, the series and talking about angels and talking about, I don't know, you know, just talk about good and bad stuff. And we'll talk about romance in general and, and you know, direction that she sees uh, some of the series going. That would be a good discussion. So uh, come on out, talk to your romance writer, and we'll talk about romance. We'll talk about, I don't know. Like I said, she, she's... Uh, she writes some different uh, series. We'll talk about the different series that she writes. So, I went out that's Thursday, and that's at 5.30. That's not a physical place. That's right here, right here on KWOD Radio. So, until then, have a great one. <laughs>